of the National Union of Metal Workers of South Africa, uh, Pagamile Shubi Machola, to get the latest out of Megawatt Park. Pagamile, good evening to you, Ngokele Gunjan. Good evening. Good evening to your listeners. We are Pilo and Gunjan. Another day, another day. We we continue to struggle. And I know you and your members, engaged as you are in struggle today, I guess uh, managed... It seems to find one another with the employer. What's the latest out of Megawatt Park? And uh, I guess, what will this mean for some of your members? Yes, indeed. We did meet with ESCOM and its management. I hope you can hear me very well. I'm just on the road. but I'm. It's a bit bad, Pagamile. I don't, know, I don't know if we maybe should just call you again. Because I'm hearing a lot call of the... Yeah, yeah, let's call, call you again. Let's call you again. I'm just hearing a lot of background noise there and we might be able, even though she's driving, to at least establish a much better connection with Pagamile Shubimachola. You're in conversation with Ayabonga Kawe. 7 till 9 p.m. Metro FM. Till 9 p.m. Right here on Metro FM. It's where you're at. Shake, shake, my comrade. Shake that invention of the working class. Shake that unifying medicine before it's too late. Shake before the time comes to pass. Shake that guava juice. And throw, throw, cabane. Throw that liquid of capitalist invention. Throw the blood of Nsikane. Throw before they see your intention. Just throw the guava juice. And dance, dance, my hero. Dance around the fire of resistance. Dance at the success of your throw. Oh, dance because the dogs are still at a distance. Dance for that guava juice. But make, make my young lion. Make another guava juice. Make another one as strong as iron. Make many more until they beg for a truce. Make those guava juices. Pagamila, I hope I have you on a much better line. Yes, I, I just pulled oh, over so better. that we could chat. Yes, yeah. much, much better. Um, so, yeah, yeah. you were asking the question about the proposal, the agreement that yes, we signed. Yes, yes, ma'am. So what we agreed to is a 7% across-the-board increase. Um, we've also agreed to a 400 rand increase in the housing allowance. Mm. Um, we've also agreed to the restoration of the conditions of service as they were in June of 2021. Now, that particular issue was a burning issue for workers at ESCOM. In fact, it was at the core of why they were so angry when you saw some of the protests that were taking place in different parts of the country. It was really in response to that because when ESCOM walked out of wage talks and refused to engage us the way that they did uh, on the 22nd of, of June, they effectively sparked or, or provoked real anger from workers because 
uh, workers have been suffering under this, this these changes that were made since last year. And uh, workers were worried that what happened last year, where ESCOM basically just imposed 1.5% and then a simultaneity took away uh, conditions, mm. was going to be repeated this year. And, and, and I guess it, in your case here, um, in what you've ag- agreed to, probably um, on the first hand, an annual agreement, I understand, and uh, uh, yeah. many people also criticizing yourself, saying, look, this is above inflation. What's your view on that? I've always found that argument on inflation so strange and frankly quite ridiculous. Mm. Really, really ridiculous, Aya, because everything else in our lives is going up, you know? Um, but you're constantly taking, telling workers and their families that they must accept below inflation. But when you're buying groceries, when you're, buy, when you're paying for petrol, when you're paying for school fees, do any of these service providers consider the fact that your salary doesn't even increase by inflation? So I think it's quite an outrageous uh, argument, really. It's a right-wing argument which is made by people who believe that workers must constantly be paid very, mm. very low wages or apartheid slave wages. It's a, really, it's a justification for greedy capitalists. Yeah. Um, for us, really, you have to also understand that for the last four years, workers at ESCOM have not had a meaningful increase. The wage bill for workers in the Central Bargaining Forum has not gone beyond 17.4 billion in the last four years. But in comparison, the cost for primary energy, for diesel, for IPPs, for um, uh, uh, as well as for coal, servicing those coal contracts, which, by the way, are for the benefit of greedy capitalists, um, ESCOM has no problem. Uh, uh, funding those with very, very extreme costs which have completely gone out of control. I mean, primary energy costs in the same four-year period where workers' wages have remained flat, primary energy costs have skyrocketed from 85 billion rand to 116 billion rand. And so how do you then turn around and say to workers you don't deserve an increase when for four years you've not had an meaningful increase? Mm. I, think, I think really it's very unfair given the extreme conditions that we're facing in this country, the petrol price, we're about to pay 27 rand a liter. Um, the average food uh, basket is way above 4,000 rand. What do you think these workers are living on? Mm. How do you think they, they get to work when you're not going to pay them according to their needs? And then the other thing, I mean, Paramile, and I'd be interested to hear your perspective on this. I mean, a lot of the power outages shift to stage six and so on. Uh, over the last week or so attributed to the action that many of your members alongside their counterparts in the NAM, uh, you know, have undertaken. And I I found it quite bizarre. I mean, uh, because I think sequentially we've had bouts of load shedding, even in 2021, where there wasn't such industrial action. What do you guys make of that? And I guess, you know, has that been a big part of uh, what I guess was, you know, in the discussion table, because it does seem the other people you were negotiating with on the other side were creating the impression among South Africans that, um, you know, a big part of the escalation of load shedding had to do with your members. Uh, And I think there is also an innuendo floating about of uh, sabotage as well, some of which I guess is placed at the door of your members. It's a convenient scapegoat. That's what it is. And that's how we view it, because... Um, on the eve 
of them announcing stage six load shedding, we were already on stage four. And mm. I think South Africa, I, I, I think when, when the minister makes the allegation that the load shedding is out of control because of workers' protests, he's attempting to allow the public into a state of amnesia, you know. He thinks that South Africans have forgotten that ever since that we've been living with perpetual uh, load shedding for for a long time, and it's gotten worse under the leadership of Andre Tereiter. And unions like NUNSA have been on record from day one saying that Andre Tereiter would not be able to get load shedding under control, and we've been proven correct. Um, one of the other things that must also be be understood is that. As I speak to you, ESCOM has been shutting down units in power stations. Mm. Hendrina has lost two units. Those two, two units in Hendrina were shut down, which had amounted to 480 megawatts taken out of the grid. Komati has shut down eight out of nine of its units, which has resulted in about 1,200 megawatts taken out of the grid. Hootsley shut down three uh, units which were refurbished, but they've not been brought back online. And um, ESCOM is saying that we've lost about 2,000 megawatts of power. You can attribute it to the closure of these power stations. Mm. And they've been closing them down in order to make way for IPPs. We hear all the time about how IPPs should be brought on. IPPs have been brought on, guys, but we're still suffering from consistent load shedding. And maybe it's about time we start talking about whether these IPPs are actually a viable solution yeah, for our energy yeah. crisis. No, for sure. And I'll maybe just read through a, a tweet that came to former CEO of ESCOM, Jacob Marocha. But before I go there, Paramile, talk to me about these power stations that you said have closed. And, and I asked that in the context where many old power stations that we still have in our fleet now were returned to service in the 2000s after having been mothballed. Um, so, so which are these plants that have been... Uh, I guess, uh, you know, uh, closed? Uh, and what are the circumstances around which they've been closed? Is it because they're not salvageable? Is it because they continue to misfire? What were the reasons given by ESCOM? Well, we, we, this is um, information that we got from our members who are on the ground, who are basically trying to assist us as unions to try mm. and deal with this false narrative that it's workers who are responsible for load shedding. We are experiencing load shedding because a, a decision has been taken, and this decision comes straight from government, from the shareholder, to close down these units for the benefit of IPP. So um, it's time that we, we hold those who made these disastrous choices on our behalf responsible for this reckless uh, decision-making. At the same time, you must, you, must, you must balance the closure of these units against the fact that as early as April, ESCOM predicted in the media, there was a whole press conference where they said in winter we would endure 101 days of load shedding. That was their prediction. Mm. So for them to now come and tell the, 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 the country that um, it's workers at ESCOM and if they weren't on, on protest, we would have energy, it's a lie. It's a lie. Um, this is a situation that was created by them. This is a situation that they foresaw. Yes, indeed, the protests would have exacerbated the situation, but we cannot pretend we would not be here anyway, whether those protests had taken place or not. Mm-hmm. Paramile, in your view, I mean, you, you would have been involved in, um, or some of your members, in the previous strike. 
at ESCOM. And I remember Paramani Hatebe was still at the helm of ESCOM. In your recollection, what qualitatively distinguishes this bout of bargaining from what had unfolded during that moment? So, you know, a lot of people say that workers at ESCOM were on strike in, I think it was 2018 or 2019. Yeah, 2018, that, I think. Yeah. That, yeah, 2018. That time, workers were not on strike. They, they were, they, there was a day where they picketed yes, outside sure. Megawatt Park for one day. It was a day of picketing. What, what, what ESCOM has described now is they're saying it's an, it's an unprotected strike because... According to them, workers actually walked off shift and would and refused to go back on duty. And as you saw, many of them were actually picketing or protesting at the gates of various power stations where they were uh, employed. So the difference between then and now is, um, I suppose, there's similarities in the sense that that picket that happened in 2018 was also sparked by the arrogance of ESCO management who mm. at that time were not negotiating meaningfully. And it was only after that one-day picket that we were able to get back uh, around the table and find each other. Similarly here, this protest was, was sparked by an irresponsible and reckless and arrogant ESCOM management who just decided to walk out of wage talks simply because unions challenged them on their notion that they cannot afford wage demands. We, as Mumsa, put it to them that you are not being truthful when you say that. We have shown in the Central Bargaining Mm. Forum that our wage demand, if you were to give us 12% across the board, it would only cost $1.2 And that compared to the outrageous cost that you've been, the the, the extremely exorbitant cost that you've been paying on on diesel and coal and IPT, there's nothing, Mm. nothing. It's not even a drop in the ocean compared to what you're spending on the other end, you're not making any intervention on that side. So it was them walking out, and unfortunately, luckily we've resolved it. Um, You know, um, things have now settled, but Yeah. yeah. That's where we are. Let's pause there for a second. And uh, we did pose, I guess, this issue of the walkout uh, to Sikonati Manjanja when we spoke to him. He's like, yeah, we didn't walk out. We made use of our rights, you know, to uh, go and take this matter to the CCM. And I was like, but who raised the dispute? And they finally did agree that uh, it was indeed ESCOM. Hold the line there for me for a second. We've got a voice note. Take a listen to this. Good evening to you, Machai. This is Nsikana in Deben. I want to say this this evening as you have invited Paramount Shubimachola that I am not impressed with her with, with both her stance and the and, and Numsa's stance in dealing with um labor matters at this at this time because my my opinion is that they are backward looking as a union. They are they think they are still in the era when the unions had all the power, meantime, that era has passed. They must look at the level of unemployment. They must look at the fact that they themselves, as a union, are canvassing in all sectors. But over and above that, I still hold uh, responsible for the downfall of SAA. Thank you. Pamela, 
And Zakana, they're saying he holds you to account for the downfall of SAA. He doesn't like your bargaining approach. Uh, he feels you're misreading uh, what's happened in the labor market. And uh, ostensibly, you're misreading your own power in that market. Well, and, 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 he, and he also blames, he blames uh, us for the quote-unquote downfall of SAA. Mm. I think we must uh, first just be on record and remind people that we warned that SAA was being collapsed. We warned. And in fact, we, our, our warnings were confirmed. Do you recall when Titon Boweni made that outrageous statement? I think he was at WEF where he said, sell this thing in yes, reference to SAA. Yes, yes. I can Wef, sell it to a friend of mine for one rand. Those Wef, were his words. Yeah, WEF 2019. Yeah. Mm. Guess what? SAA was sold to friends of the <laughs> ANC for 51 rand. Of course, yeah. And we warned about that. But we were ignored. We are warning again. And I really hope that your listeners listening very carefully this time. We are warning again that ESCOM is being collapsed as we speak for the benefit of politically connected ANC members through IPPs, these IPP contracts, mm. through these coal contracts, and through these diesel contracts. The more load shedding that there is, the more justification there is for for privatization of energy generation. And that privatization is going to result in thousands of jobs being lost. We are warning in advance. And we hope this time that the public, and specifically that your caller, will heed this, this, this warning, because that is what's coming. Um, I think it is unfair to blame unions, because when workers are striking, workers strike or protest in response to their conditions. So whether there was a union or not, you would have people protesting and striking. Um, and, um, and the activities that we do as a union are driven by the demand of workers. Mm. People should not pretend that the working class in South Africa is not going through a hard time. It's going through an extremely difficult time. But in spite of that difficult time, you have progressive unions like NUMSA, which are able to debate and fight for members. I mean, we have secured about inflation increases in engineering. Um, we managed to get workers at how many gold to above 13,000 rand a month in the third year of the agreement. We've secured an above inflation increase at ESCOM. That is the job of a union, to improve the conditions of workers and their families. The fact that we've got high unemployment, the fact that our SOEs are collapsing, we don't run these SOEs. We make a lot of noise about the problems in these SOEs, about issues of corruption mm. and mismanagement. And unfortunately, most of the time, our, our cries and our warnings fall on deaf ears. We hope that this time people will heed what we say um, and take us seriously, especially on the question of these renewables. Because this is the narrative that's really being pushed very strongly. We really have to do more analysis as a country and ask ourselves, is it right for us to rush into this process of moving from coal to renewables in the way that government is doing it now with the private sector, where we are seeing that these power stations are going to shut down. CSIR has already predicted at least 100,000 jobs lost. Um, with these power stations closing. But it, as I speak to you now, there's still no plan for the province of Mpumalanga once those, those mm. power stations shut down. 
I don't know how many times I've said this on your show, I yes, about this issue, mm. but it remains a problem. Pamela, wait, wait, just on this issue, just on this issue, maybe clarify mm. me here. I mean, you, you were sitting now in the negotiations. On the other side is the employer. Last time I mm. spoke to you on this platform, what is ESCOM saying insofar as the restructuring of the utility is concerned? And your role as trade unions in making inputs in the contours of that restructuring, what form it takes, what shape it takes, the implication for you know, coal mining communities linked to the power plants in Pumalanga and so on. Any further progress insofar as that is concerned? Are you any wiser on the sequencing, how long it will take, the scope of it, what shape this restructuring and uh, reorganization of ESCOM and ultimately reorganization of the energy sector is going to take? The simple answer is no. We've not been taken on board at all. We've not been taken on board. We've not been consulted. There's two process. There's parallel processes happening. When we discuss at CBS, they don't make it strictly within the confines of wage talks. There's a separate process that's happening through the Presidential Climate Control Commission, where at that level discussions are taking place, and we have uh, NUMSA representatives who are on that uh, commission. But the reports that I've been getting from um, our, our comrades who sit on that structure, and I would really love for you to interview uh, some of them because they've, they've actually been yes, very involved please. in that. Mm. The feedback that we've been getting from them is that it's a rubber stamping exercise. They are not taking anything of what the unions have proposed on board. Um, it is very clear to us that um, this government is not interested in ensuring that we have... Um, an ESCOM or a, an energy supplier that's going to... You know, the purpose of ESCOM in the past was it had a developmental role like all sure, other SOEs, sure. which was to create a uh, electrification for the country, allow for cheap or affordable electricity. That's no longer the mandate. The mandate specifically worsened under Ramaphosa, which is to bring in the private sector it doesn't matter whether that energy is going to cost more. Nobody's going to regulate that. Um, they are creating a new system where, just like in the hospitals, where if you can afford, you go on medical aid and then you access quality health care. The new what we're going to see happening in future is we're going to have a situation where if you can afford, you'll probably live in one of those gated estates where you can have regular electricity. But if you cannot afford, you'll be stuck with a collapsing ESCOM that is, uh, in, you know, forcing you to, su- to suffer through days and or hours and hours of load shedding. That's exactly the model that they're chasing now. Uh, a two-tier system where those who can afford will have access to, to, to energy and those who can't will be subject to rolling blackouts because they'll be outside of that system. Before I let you go, uh, Paramile, I mean, I, I remember, I think I was at Nedlak on that day, uh, when the ESCOM social compact was signed. Now, I know as members of SAFTU that you're not part of the Labour constituency out at NEDLAC. But one of the things that I certainly recall now in hindsight is, you know, the utility or lack thereof of uh, high-level agreements of that kind in moments of crisis. I mean, if those agreements aren't going to be held to, if you as parties to the restructuring of ESCOM as workers, you know, at a planned level are not going to be consulted, what is the next option that is open to you and might we expect, you know, I guess many energy sector workers who organized around NUMSA to be part of a generalized strike that many people are suggesting might happen? I don't want to say that's necessarily going to be what we will do, 
But at the end of the day, uh, we, we, we may have to. Okay. We may have to for the simple reason that um, they may leave us with no choice. Um, and, and the fact of the matter is we have to do something radical mm. to save these jobs. We can't allow this government to be allowed to roll out this program, violate all principles of a just transition, um, just so that uh, politically connected cronies to the ANC leadership can make uh, millions at our expense. So at, at some point, NUMSA will have to take such a decision, um, but we certainly hope that we don't get to that point. Paramela Shubimachola, always a pleasure. Thank you very much for taking time out to speak to us. Thank you. That there is Paramela Shubimachola, national spokesperson of the National Union of Metal Workers of South Africa. What do you make of that? I'd love to hear from you. Many of you are asking for our voice note number. And uh, yeah, you can send us your voice notes out on 060 552 the headlines, the headlines on Metro FM Talk. Yeah, 13 minutes it is after 8 p.m. And I'd uh, love to hear some of your thoughts. Give us a ring on 089-110-3377. That's our studio telephone line. Uh, we're also out on our WhatsApp uh, voice note line, 60 552 60 Many of you sharing your tweets with us uh, tonight on at Metro FMSA. Uh, and uh, yeah, I guess uh, in response to that last discussion we had there, uh, Chief Mlu saying Numsa now faces an uphill battle uh, to separate their reputation from stage 6 through to stage 8. Good luck, Pagamile. And uh, yeah, I guess Sabanyo or Abanyo making their own comments there. Tumelo Khosili Khong, insofar as the gender pay gap is concerned, says Safa must pay Banyana Banyana more than they pay Bafana Bafana because in the words of Figil and Balula, they are a bunch of losers who continue to break our hearts with no results. And those who are performing should be rewarded for their work. Yeah, if indeed uh, we like this ethos and principle of performance-related pay. Um, you know, uh, what is it? Match fees and so on. Because it should be linked to performance. Um, and if you are showing consistently that you don't perform, keep selling minimum wage. 21 rand and 69 cents um, for 90 minutes. Uh, how much would that be? Certain amount. If I was Lalabandu, that's what you must give them. Um, and uh, yeah, I guess it's a bit of a flippant comment, but um, I think you, you get the point I'm trying to make. Uh, that um, if indeed you want to be principled on performance related pay, even over and above equal work for equal pay, uh, then I think uh, my brother's uh, tweet there uh, is correct. Tumelo uh, Silly Hong tweeting us there on at Metro FMSA using the hashtag. Metro FM Talk. Maske Siv Banitin was voice notes. Good evening, good evening, Ebong. Sure. Sweet as I'm Ebong, I would like to comment on the issue of a gap between our payments, our ladies, and our 
banyana banyana ne bafana bafana yes sir i think ayabonga it's been very very unfair for a very long time and everyone has been keeping a blind eye because these ladies they've proved themselves way back that they are good they are playing quality football they are making mm. us proud mm. they are proud of pagamisa if like it's about time value ukuthi bahole ngokulingana oh bahole phezulu we should stop ukuthenga ubuso man we should stop ukuthenga ubuso sithethe nenyani mantombazana benza umsebenzi omhle kakhulu i remember i had a conversation last no amanda lamine aphema hlobo games regarding je sabamba seka khona kwezinto zamaphement we we banyana banyana so it's about time they deserve to get paid even more than amajit thank you for we to show show danko 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 let's hear some of your thoughts as well hi ayabonga evening could you please please arrange a meeting with Anna Majavu um, from Neoframe? I have read an article by her and it would seem that Irvin Jim of Noomsa might have a hand in the sudden and immediate closure mm. of Neoframe about the sponsor. Mm. So could you perhaps um, organize a meeting with her or, um, or put, uh, put her on the resume and um, bring her on board that we have listened to, uh, say for instance, uh, half an hour that we can hear what's happening. Thank you. Thank you very much uh, for that. Uh, yeah, I mean, I think we are familiar with that story. It's something that is on our radar. Um, and I think there's a bigger debate there. The bigger debate is this. How are not only media platforms funded, right? And what drives commercial viability if you opt out of an advertiser-driven type of model? That's the one issue. The second issue is how are social justice organizations funded? Who funds them? And I think in this case, you know, the story you're raising, uh, my brother, uh, Anna Machav, who's one of the former journalists out at Newframe. Um, let me not say former because soon to be retrenched journalists out at Newframe. And... Um, I think this assertion is being made that uh, Roy Singham, Roy Neville Singham, uh, founder, software entrepreneur of ThoughtWorks, uh, and also, I guess, a socialist and, um, you know, funder of social justice causes, pulling the plug on New Frame. Um, Aspersions are being made around that being linked to the funding by Roy Neville Singham of NUMSA. And I think many others have been saying there's potentially some kind of NUMSA RET of the ANC and EFF type alliance that Roy Singham is funding. At this stage, all of that is speculation and conjecture, uh, but certainly it's something we will pick up. I also saw a petition uh, coming out of um, you know some recognized voices there in the left in South Africa, Dale McKinley, uh, who is, I'm not sure where Dale is now, but he teaches at Wits, former you know, spokesperson of the South African Communist Party, you know, raising a petition. They're saying, look, Singham must fund it for the next three months, hand it over to the workers who potentially are going to go and raise some funding for that particular platform. Very progressive publication, their new frame. And uh, thank you very much. Uh, certainly something that uh, we will consider and uh, think through uh, as uh, yeah, as our discussions unfold. Maskesif Babatina. Machaya. Uh, good evening. Sure, I'm just wondering if it's Wutsi. Um I'm thinking about the elections, the upcoming elections, and you know, you as young as young people on Twitter, you know, you see people talking, you see the general conversation yes. and narrative. And I guess people are fed up, of course, of, mm. of how things are. 
um, with the incumbent government um, and and everything like that. And but I'm I'm really seeing a lot of people really struggling to find alternatives um, in terms of um, whether it be alternative parties or an alternative system, whether it be a coalition system mm. or whatever other systems there are out there um, at our. Um, at our disposal sure, so yeah um now i'm just wondering from your um understanding mm. of, of politics and then and, and what, what what would the future of politics look like in south africa is there an, an, an outright alternative party um from the current ones that we have right now sure, that sure, you may see you might not say the name but you may see that can can move us forward or does the future of, of politics and government yeah. look a lot more different um, to the current systems we have now? Sure, Bela. Look, thanks, man. Thanks for that uh, comment. Very rich question that you've got there. And I think part of the answer is in what you're saying. I think my only concern would be, my only concern would be that um, even as people in the electorate, we are very mechanical in our thinking. So electoral competitive politics, the pageantry of that politics is not entirely sufficient to deal with some of the issues that crop up for you know, uh, people every single day, in particular the working class. And I think the reality is that part of the alternative must also be an alternative to the pageantry of electoral politics. You see, this thing of thinking politics is every five years when you go to a ballot is also the part of the problem. But I also think the second maybe part to my answer to your question is that one of the things that this moment is going to open up space for is not just an electoral but a social political program, mass program. Um, and I certainly hope, this is my hope, that there will be some kind of mass program that is coming from left formations in South Africa that sits outside of the pageantry of electoral politics. Because if we do not do that, it's a again. Last week on Cancel Court... The people appealed Savannah's small Nyana cans. Reparations were made with the new 500ml Nga can. Now stay tuned as this week we address people who bring all the items to the 10 items or less deal. Cancel Court is now in session. Introducing the crisp dry taste you love, now in a bigger can. Savannah, it's dry but you can drink it. Not for persons under the age of 18. Get more value and more Monati with Telcom data and voice bundles. We've dropped our prices to give you more streams, more calls, chats, and hashtag soft zindos. Dial star 180 hash to buy Get More Monati bundles so you can enter them. Bakely, bakey. That's that Monati style from Telcom. Teasers, he's apply.